you would, take out your Bibles and turn to Acts. To begin our time together, we're going to read from chapter 14, verse, 20, verse 24 through 28. We're actually looking to begin with Acts chapter 13, 1 through 12 that Pastor Nate read earlier. Stand in reverence to the reading of God's perfect word. Hear the word of Christ as he speaks to us in these moments as his church. As he continues to expand his kingdom to the very ends of the earth. He calls our attention here today. Then they passed through Poseidon and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Persia. And then they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them, and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. Oh God, we pray that by the power of your Spirit today, You would teach us, you would correct us, you would train us as a church whose heart wants to be committed to your mission. God, you would train us, you would teach us what it means to be resolved to this kingdom mission. This work of the Spirit that continues to move in the world, even to the very ends of the earth. And we as individuals would ask the question, how can we be a part of it? How can we get in on what Jesus is already doing? Oh God, change us by the power of your spirit according to the authority of your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Taking a group of 17 students, teenagers, and adults to an unreached village in the Andes Mountains six years ago was probably one of the stupidest things that I've ever done as a mission pastor. Now, I'm letting you in on that now. We acted like it was a great thing then. Uh, But this was a village uh, that was not Cordova, Peru. It was sort of our first trip there, and we had no idea what we were doing. And we made a lot of mistakes. It wasn't a very strategic trip. We took 17 people into this small village And it felt like upon entering the village, the population just all of a sudden doubled. And half the population was all of a sudden these gringos. And the people of the village were wondering, what in the world are we doing there? Not to mention, we entered the village at night. We entered the village by stealth. And so they wake up the next morning and they have these white folks camping out in a cornfield in the middle of this village. Throughout the week, we were loud and we were obnoxious. At one point during the week, I realized that we had had folks who were taking baths, who were taking baths in springs that ran above the village that were actually used for the people's water supply. And here we had teenagers taking baths in their water supply. Uh, The folks of the village go to bed right at dark, right at dark, so they are sound asleep. And I'll never forget the night where Pastor Nate... And Stephen Johnson were shooting off homemade fireworks across the Andes Mountains that seemed to echo forever. 
and the villagers were yelling, in manana, in manana, wait till tomorrow. It wasn't a very strategic trip. It wasn't enjoyable. We realized at one point during the week that we had set up our camp, our tents in the village outhouse. And so every morning there were certain tents that would wake up, people in the tents who would wake up with the smells and sounds of people using the facilities. I'll put it that way. Uh, Folks were finding in their cornfield throughout the week used toilet paper. And here I am thinking, why in the world did I ever do this? Why in the world did, did I bring this large group of people here? We have absolutely ruined the ministry that had already been started in this village. They will never, they will never reach this people group. Uh, We have ruined what was going on here. In the beginning, it was just sort of uh, our heart. We want to go somewhere hard for the gospel. We want to go somewhere and reach a group of people who's never heard about Jesus. And so we set out. We began to investigate. We began to look in how to do this. And, and that's what led us to a church that led us to this village. It was simply a heart to fulfill the mission gone stupid. Here we see the heart of a church. Acts chapter 13. The church in Antioch, this church that has such a mission heart that is expanding out into areas that they never thought they would go. Uh, Chapter 13, verse 1 begins, now there were in the church at Antioch. Antioch was this multicultural mission-leading church in the world. And we see that by the description of their church staff here. We see the prophets and we see the teachers described here. Barnabas, who was from Cyprus, two men from Africa, Niger and Lucius, Manaean here, who was this man raised in royalty alongside Herod. And then you have Saul, who is a converted Judaizer. You have a multicultural staff who is leading the way of this mission-minded church. And here at the very beginning of Acts chapter 13, we realize what we have learned over and over throughout the book of Acts is that the Spirit of God cannot be present and there not be diversity. The Spirit of God cannot be present and there not be diversity. The Spirit of God cannot be present here, and we see that the church cannot set still. When the Spirit of God moves in, the church begins to move out. That's exactly what we see here as they gather for worship in verse 2. We see here that this kingdom mission begins in worship while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. The church here with their leaders, here together they are worshiping the Lord. And their worship is described or indicated with fasting. Their worship here is marked by an expectancy for God to do something. They are worshiping the Lord, not just sitting still, thinking, you know, we've done a lot of great mission work. We helped the folks in Judea. There was a famine there. We've got a lot of different kinds of people here. We've taken a few mission trips. Now let's just sort of sit back and enjoy our first century facilities and fellowship. No, when they gathered for worship, the question was asked, what will God do with us next? How will God use us next? Their worship was a part of their mission strategy. Their worship was done with an expectancy that God is going to keep using us on this kingdom mission. 
And we learn here that a church that is not passionate about Jesus in worship will not take the gospel to the nations. A church that is not passionate in worship will not take the gospel to the nations. There is no such thing as a church that has a wonderful worship service, that has wonderful worship that will not be aggressive for the sake of the gospel around the world. I don't care how wonderful the music sounds. I don't care how great the, the sound and audio and creative the PowerPoint and video is. I don't care how great it feels. If it is not propelling us out to the nations, it is not worship. A church that truly and genuinely worships Jesus, worships Him as King, and realizes He is King of the nations, and realizes He has died for the nations. And as they worship Him, they will long for the nations to experience His Lordship. They will long for the nations to experience what they experience in worship. A church that is not passionate about worship will not be passionate for the nations. And some of us here today would be a little bit more passionate about the nations if we were a little bit more passionate in worship. If we were a little bit more engaged with the gospel when we, we show up and we sing. If we weren't thinking so much, why is Pastor Nate singing songs so fast that I can't sing with him? I've never heard this song and all of a sudden he dumps this song on us. It, that's not going to send you to the nations. That's not going to cause you to give more for the sake of the gospel around the world. Some of you would stop complaining about how much we give for missions if you started worshiping in the context of worship on a Sunday. If you started really seeking the face of God here. Genuine worship will propel you to the nations, will cause you to give, will cause you to send, which is exactly what we see here in verse 2. As they are worshiping, notice what the Holy Spirit says. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called them to do. Kingdom mission, the kingdom mission primarily is a call to send on behalf of the church. Notice the text, set them apart to me for the work that I have called them to do. Here we see the authority of Christ, the authority of the Spirit to invade the church and say you have assets there, you have leaders there, even some of your church staff there who need to be sent out for the sake of the gospel. And notice verse 3, how the church responds. Then after fasting... There's this continual dependence and expectancy and praying. They lay their hands on them and sent them off. A church that is in submission to Christ and sending out. Even here, as we know the whole story, we know the whole Old Testament, and we think about Paul. Paul, who in Philippians would describe himself basically as the Michael Jordan of Judaism. I mean, he had it together. If you're going to talk about righteousness, it was all about me. And the church is standing around thinking, you know, he has all of these gifts. He has all of these intellects. And now he can use them for the sake of the gospel. We need him here in Antioch for our ministry to Jews. You think about Barnabas. Good old barn. You know, 
the guy who sent you the Facebook message once a week, telling you how great you were, and how much he loved that you were a part of his church body. I mean, Barn, this, this guy of encouragement, and the church is standing around thinking, Paul, he's the smartest one here. Barnabas, he's the most loyal one here. How can we get rid of these guys? And here they are in submission to the authority of Christ. And here in the context of the church, one of the ways we quench the Spirit, we quench the Spirit, is when we are unwilling to let go of people and things that are most precious to us. I can't. Pastor Jeremy, I can't let that couple in our Bible fellowship group start another Bible fellowship group. I mean, we have grown so attached. Our kids love one another. They're not going to be able to play with them once a week anymore. I can't let them go. I mean, Pastor Jeremy, once a year, we have all of these college students who just go out all over the place. And they go to Ohio and California and Peru and Thailand. They go out all over the place. And here you are encouraging that. Don't you know the two months of the year during the summer, our attendance just drops and we lose momentum. How in the world can we keep sending all of these people out? That is a blessing of the Spirit. That is a sign not of losing momentum as a church. That is a sign of gaining momentum. When you are willing to send, sending is a taste of the Spirit's blessing on the church. But we quench the Spirit when we are unwilling to let go of those people and things that are most precious to us. Some of you are thinking, how can we keep giving to missions? You would not say that because you know that's like profanity around here. But how in the world can we keep coming up with all these new ministries? And we just got settled in in Cordova. And I heard you a few weeks ago talking about the 1040 window and helping with orphanages. How in the world are we going to do all that? We're just going to go bankrupt. We're going to shrivel up and die. We're not going to be able to pay the bills. Just the opposite is true. We will not die as a church by giving more for the sake of the gospel. We just won't. And if we have to sell this building for what we owe on it, which I think we can do, and this land, because we sent out too many missionaries, who cares? Who gives a rip? I mean, what in the world do we exist for? We are not going to go bankrupt by sending out more people and sending out more resources. We're not going to shrivel up and die. Jesus is not going to hold us accountable to how much is in our bank account when he returns. But he is going to hold us accountable for how much we did for the sake of the gospel around the world. And if we're not willing to sacrifice for that, why in the world do we exist? Shut the door and let's leave right now. We will not die by sending. Our goal is actually to ingather as many resources as possible to prepare to send as many missionaries to Lexington and to the ends of the earth. Our goal is not to establish some sort of spiritualized retirement center where we can just coast for the next 20 years. Some sort of spiritualized country club where our kids will have a great safe place to grow up. No, we are gathering all of these resources to send out even our kids as spears to penetrate the darkness around the world, which is exactly what we see here in Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 4. We see the warfare that the church is engaged in here. 
verses 4 through 12. Pastor Nate read it earlier. These missionaries, Barnabas and, and Saul, begin to travel out from Antioch. And they go across islands and they go through coastlands. They go from Cyprus where Barnabas uh, was born. They're, they're ministering in synagogues in Salamis. And, and they minister in villages and towns. They're hiking. They're, they're riding. They're, they're in combies traveling across the land. And all of a sudden they end up in Paphos. Paphos. That's a little redneck stuff. You, you just sometimes don't know how to pronounce these things. But they end up in this city on this island. That's, that's a good translation for you guys from the backwoods. They end up in Paphos here and they are proclaiming the gospel and they begin to have to interact with this Roman authority who is over the land there. And the Spirit inserts this story, inserts this interaction with this proconsul to sort of give us a picture of what it means to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. A picture, a vision of actually what Christ is doing in the world. We see Sergius Paulus here, a man of intelligence in verse 7, who begins to summon to himself Barnabas and Saul because he wants to hear the word. But then we see this magician, this astrologer, who's even called a sorcerer here, begins to oppose their message, begins to push them away from the pro-council, begins to deceive, begins to deceive and manipulate and distort their message. And notice what Saul does here. But Saul, who is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil. You enemy of all righteousness, you are full of deceit and villainy. Will you not stop making crooked the paths of the Lord? And behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind, unable to see the sun for a time. Darkness falls on him. The Roman authority, the proconsul, sees what goes on. His eyes are open up to the greater authority that is present through the preaching of the gospel, and he believes the gospel and is saved. We see that all through the book of Acts. We see these magicians and sorcerers and all these, all these people all of a sudden show up and they're overturned by the gospel. And we begin to think, you know, it's sort of like a Star Wars episode. You know, Saul is this new Holy Spirit Jedi and he's still trying to figure this thing out. And, and he's engaged with this warfare, with this pro-council. And we notice, you know, the force is very strong with this one. We knew he was the one who was going to bring balance to the force and take the Old Testament Messiah to the Gentiles. And we read it that way. There is something cosmic going on here. The Lord Jesus Christ is showing us what we are actually doing as we are proclaiming the gospel. Kingdoms are falling and bowing before the gospel, bowing before the kingdom, and Satan can't stop it. As Paul said to this sorcerer, you are standing in the way of the Lord. This Old Testament prophecy, the Lord is coming. The ways of the Lord are making straight the path. We are heralds just like John the Baptist. And you are standing in our way. And now you are blinded the same way you are blinding others. The Spirit is showing us what we are a part of. Kingdoms are toppling because this kingdom is invading. Kingdoms are being overturned everywhere when this kingdom comes in. Even authorities are believing the gospel. And when they do, Satan's power is being taken away 
from him. That's why Paul would say we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. No, our goal with the gospel is to cast down these ideas and these doctrines of demons that blind people. That's why when we see videos of of people in unreached villages who believe the gospel for the first time and they're baptized in creeks and and we stand back and we think, you know, that's, that's sweet. How sweet. No, that's warfare. That's warfare. What has just happened in their lives is there is a kingdom that has been toppled. And a few weeks ago, as we saw Eric Turner baptize two women in the Andes Mountains, what we saw there was a blinding that had occurred for thousands of years. And all of a sudden, their eyes are opened and Satan's power is taken away. The Holy Spirit says, don't miss what's going on here. Don't miss what is happening as you set across in the coffee shop from that friend of yours who has said, I have ruined my life. I have made bad decisions. And you just look at the tornado of my life. How in the world could God ever forgive me? There's a blinding that's going on there. As you begin to talk to that guy in the break room and you begin to share the gospel with him and yet he has acquired all of these possessions he has acquired all of these treasures and he is thinking about how in the world could I let go of this these time, this time, these resources for the sake of Jesus how in the world is that going to happen there is a blinding that is going on there Second Corinthians chapter 4 Paul would say they are blinded by the God of this age and our prayer as we plead with them to believe the gospel as we plead with them to trust in Christ, is not that we would be adequate salesmen for Jesus. No, but we would be ambassadors for Christ who would boldly declare there is another kingdom that has invaded. Don't stand in its way. Submit to this kingdom that is moving through, that will be your greatest joy, that will be your greatest treasure. And we see them believe the gospel and the baptism waters shake and we begin to say that is warfare. Satan's power is being taken away one kingdom at a time. That's exactly what goes on here in Acts chapter 13. We move to Acts chapter 14, verses 24 through 28. And as they have moved through this first missionary journey, there's one thing that has not left them, and it is their home church. And it's not just sentimental. It is the authority of Christ in their life. We see this in the passage that we read earlier when they pass through Poseidon and Pamphylia and they begin to keep moving with the gospel. But notice verse 26, as they have moved everywhere they're going to move, as the kingdom has been expanding and they are proclaiming the gospel and they are staring down enemies of the gospel and people are believing and they are saved, notice what they continue to do throughout. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. They were still under authority to their church. They were still under authority to the church that sent them out. 
And so throughout this first missionary journey, we see that they continue to come back to the church and they have those Sunday night testimonies where everybody gets up and they share what God has done in their life on the mission trip and how they've had the mission top, uh, mountaintop mission experience and everybody feels good. They are having those sorts of things in the context of the church. They are having to pay for and back uh, uh, mission dinners. They're having world impact conferences so that the church can see what's going on, uh, going on on the islands and the coastlands. They come back to the church to say, notice the text says, all that God had done with them. With them. And that's not just Saul and Barnabas. That's the church. The church of Antioch was the mission team. The church at Antioch was extending their mission to the nations, to the unreached peoples of the world through sending out Paul and Barnabas. The primary sender here is God. Remember, it began with him set apart to me. But here's the reality. When God wants missionaries, he doesn't go to the missionaries and say, go. He goes to the church and says, you set apart people in your congregation." who are gifted for this. I've gifted them. I've given them gifts and abilities and desires, but you set them apart. That's why it's important for any of us here who feel a call to a ministry or feel a call to the mission field that we don't just book the flight, but that we tell our church family. There is accountability There is assessment of gifts. There is a sending out that has to occur. We see that the kingdom mission here is local church based. Actually, anybody's ministry here should be local church based. There are no self-senders. There are no self-checkout line, Walmart checkout line Christians here. There are no self-appointed Christian ministry workers who design Lexmark printers. There are no self-appointed mission pastors. It is the church that recognizes what God is doing. And all ministry flows in and through and is filtered through the church. And we see that going on with Paul and Barnabas here. We get to the end of the story and we see all of these amazing things that, that Paul does in the book of Acts. I mean, the guy saw the risen Lord Jesus Christ face to face. He is called an apostle. He has more authority than anybody in the church in Antioch. And we stand back and say, he could have done whatever he wanted to. But what does he do here? He continues to report back to the church that sent him. Actually, the New Testament is full of letters where we see he is dependent upon churches to send him. There are no Lone Ranger missionaries. It happens within and through the context of the church. The call to kingdom mission does not come to a person in a vacuum. It actually comes to a person in the context of a church that is ready to send them. That is prepared to send them. You see, so often we think about the call to the mission field. And even here today, some of you are thinking about that young guy doesn't have anything better to do, just go to the mission field. You're not married yet. Have any resp- go to Indonesia. Or you're thinking right now about that young couple who needs to just pack it up and go live in Turkey. And you're thinking, man, I hope they're paying attention today. 
in this missions emphasis here. I hope they're getting something out of it. Maybe they'll respond at the end of the service saying, please send me. And you're missing the point of the text. The text is for the church. The text is for the church to be prepared to send. Prepared to send out. Maybe that young guy is not hearing the call to go because you're not prepared to send him. Maybe that young couple is not hearing the call to go because we're not prepared to send them. We don't sit around in the context of the church and and wait for the next need, wait for the next ministry, wait for the next mission. No, we we have to have a culture of sending where we are constantly prepared to send out anyone who is ready to go at any time. We don't sit around and wait for a need. 2.85 billion people in the world right now are considered unreached. Access, there's no reason to pray about a need. Are we ready to send people who are ready to go? That's the question. That's the question for us here today. That's why we try to cultivate here this, this sending culture in the context of our church. Where we're even discipling our kids, preparing them to go. Saying to our students, don't you dare fail Spanish. I mean, I don't care about math, and I don't care about science. But we're trying to reach the Andes Mountains with the gospel. You better study Spanish. And don't you be complaining about air conditioning and it being hot outside. You may be living in a hut in Africa one day. Let's just turn the AC off. Get used to it. Little girl. Don't you be scared of these little bugs crawling around our house. You may live in a place infested with bugs in a jungle down by the river with your missionary husband. Now your mom can be scared of bugs all she wants. She lives in America. That may not be where you're going to live the rest of your life where we are discipling and there are conversations like this about going to the nations for the sake of the gospel and we're encouraging students, don't waste your summer. Don't sit around and play video games in air conditioning. Go serve somebody. Go share the gospel. Go go to another country. There's plenty of things you can do for the sake of the gospel. And we're pooling our resources together so that we don't have to sit around and wait for a need. There is a sending culture in the context of the church that is ready to send anybody anytime they're ready to go if they're qualified to go. Because that's another issue. This week I heard a story that's all too familiar. It was a young guy who said, you know, just graduated high school. My goal in life is to be a church planner. And I'm trying to get together this small Bible study in my home. Get some people together. Study the Word of God together. Eventually I want to go to China. Start a Bible study in a home there. And, and be a part of, uh, of starting a church there. And he was asked, Oh, so, man, this is exciting. And this is, that's cool stuff. I'm glad God has placed that desire in your heart. What church do you go to? Oh, 
I don't go to church. Really? Yeah, I was attending churches for a while, and the more churches I attended, the more I realized that the church in America just doesn't get Christianity. They just don't get it. And so, I, and, and so he was asked by my friend, well, who's going to send you to China? Well, I, I'll just figure it out. Yeah, well, who, you'll figure it out when you're trying to pay bills in another country. Yeah, well, who's going to keep you from teaching heresy once you get there? Who's going to teach you from falling off? Uh, who's going to keep, keep that from happening to you? Who's going to hold you accountable? You see, what happens so often in the context of, of young guys' life like that, young guys feel that they're called to the mission field, and it's this adventure, and it's this crazy thing to do for Jesus that's so radical. When in reality, it's just their own agenda. And when the church doesn't fit their agenda, forget the church. Oh, but I thought you were going to plant a church. Do you see you're between a rock and a hard place there, buddy? It's about the church. It's about the church holding accountable, about the church sending out, about the church testing gifts. You see, some of these guys are just like the contestants on American Idol, the first episode. They show up and they think they can sing and they're horrible. Their mom and their dad says, you go try out. You would be great the next American Idol. And they need somebody to say, no, ain't happening. You think you're called the mission field? By the way, you're a jerk. You think you're called the mission field? Well, you're lazy. You think you're called the mission field? Well, you're ungodly. Let's work on that. That desire may be there. The only way that's going to be tested out and proven true is in the context of the church that you are accountable to. But we see Paul and Barnabas, have, they have moved out. And we see in verse 27, now they report back to the church that there is an open door of faith among the Gentiles. And everyone in the church clapped their hands. And everyone in the church began to cry. And everyone in the church said, praise the Lord, he's using us around the world. And then we flip over to chapter 15. The Jerusalem council said, Oh, Paul, that may be the stupidest thing you've ever done. I mean, we heard from Peter about eating, me, eating with Gentiles, fellowshipping with Gentiles there. And now you've actually acted upon that. And you've gone out and proclaimed the gospel to the Gentiles. We're glad you went to the Jews first, but you also went to the Gentiles. Now we've got to sit around and think, you know, at our fellowship dinners, are we going to have a crawfish bowl? You know, we're going to have a Jew table and a Gentile. Look what kind of stuff you've got us into here. Look at the fix you've got us into, Paul. That's the stupidest thing you've ever done. Six years ago, village of Itha. Probably the stupidest thing I've ever done as a mission pastor. Go in and have no clue what we're doing. Next year, we send two people instead of one, which is a little bit smarter. Jacob Moore, Andrew Sally, they go back to the village. They actually are part of a, uh, a first service in a neighboring village to pay first worship service there are part of establishing the church there. As a part of that trip, we met a guy named Mike Weaver who eventually connected us to the village of Cordova, Peru, where we are now working. 
stupidest thing I'd ever done. And yet the Spirit of God is using my stupidity. We look back on the book of Acts and we say, yeah, you are going into places you probably shouldn't go and you have no clue what you're doing. But yet the Spirit of God is still using the church in that way. First trip to Peru, we meet a guy named Leadman. You know how Jimmy Johnson is? He just makes friends with everybody. And he invites everybody to come live at his house with him, stay with him forever. Well, we were in Peru, so Leadman could not come to his house at that time. Actually, they were in uh, a town, Wanaco, where uh, one of our, Sheridan Stanton works. And they're over there, and they just meet Leadman and say, hey, would you like to spend the week with us? Well, yeah, that sounds good. And so they fly Leadman, one more person, into the village. At least he was Peruvian. And then after the trip, Leadman is also connected to Mike Weaver. Mike Weaver challenges Leadman to learn English so he can be a part of his ministry. Our college students here raise funds to send Leadman to a school where he can learn English. Leadman is eventually sent into other villages. Uh, one village he, he begins to serve in where he met his wife who is here today with us. This is the way the Spirit works. Sounds a lot like a, a missionary journey in Acts. They went here and they met this person and then this person went here and then they went there and they proclaimed the gospel there. That's the way the Spirit works. Some of us here today need to do something stupid. We need to do something stupid. We may not have it all together. But I want to give more for the sake of the gospel. I want to make sure that if there's somebody here today that wants to go, the resources will be available. I'm going to give a large portion of money here today. And that may be stupid to your wife who's saying, don't you dare do it, give me that checkbook. But think about all the things that could happen for the sake of the gospel. Some of us here today need to say, I want to go on my first mission trip. I've never left the state of Kentucky. The only other country I've been to is eastern Kentucky. Now, I'm from the hills of Tennessee, which is far worse, so I can say that. I want to go on my first mission trip. And, and your, your teenage daughter is sitting in the pew. No, you're not. You're not doing that. You'll be miserable. Some of us here today need to do something stupid. In the context of a church that is ready to send. In a context of a church that is ready to use resources to penetrate the darkness. The problem is, some of us here today are blinded in the same way Sergius Paulus was blinded in the text. And we have been convinced that our kingdom is so much better, is so much greater than any other kingdom's. And what we need to do today is bow to Jesus. This one who stepped out of heaven, took on flesh, lived a perfect life, died a perfect death for our sins, is raised and is seated at the right hand of God right now. We need to bow to him.